Welcome to the Right on Crime podcast. Today we're talking about clean slate legislation across the nation and in Texas and Oklahoma specifically. I'm here with Jesse Kelly, the National Director for Clean Slate, and then Marilyn Davidson, our Texas State Director for Right on Crime. So I kind of wanted to go to Jesse first and start off with some of the economic impacts that criminal records have. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to engage in this conversation. I'm super excited to be working with you both in Oklahoma and in Texas. Um, So that's absolutely right. A criminal record can follow a person for the rest of their lives, even after they have completed the entirety of their sentence. And the prejudice that comes along with a criminal record can impact their jobs, their housing, and really just their opportunities for for second chances moving forward. You know, one really recent example of this is during the pandemic, people with records were sort of the last hired, first fired, and it really built up a high unemployment rate among people who are formerly incarcerated. Right now, that's sitting at 27%, which is higher than our regular unemployment rate for the country has ever. And part of that's due to the high number of employers who check backgrounds. Right now, we're looking at about 90% or 9 in 10 employers who want to have a background check on any future employees. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, that sort of lends itself to a lot of off-the-books or gig work for people who have criminal history records, and that in itself can be problematic, and it means that people don't necessarily have the insurance they need or the stability they need, which can also impact their family pretty negatively. Marilyn, what about you? What have you seen in Oklahoma on this front? In Oklahoma, we just in 2022 passed our clean slate legislation. And what that did was it took the current paper process that we have and made it into an automated electronic process. And so we still going to be a few more years before it's implemented. But we're really excited about it because, you know, currently before we pass this law, in Oklahoma, a large percentage of people who are eligible for expungement were not accessing that. So, you know, our estimates show that only about 6.5% of people that are eligible for, eligible for an expungement are actually getting that expungement. And there were several things that were in the way of them accessing that. The biggest being money and financially having to hire a lawyer, which in Oklahoma, the system it does, the process requires you to have an attorney and pay all the fees that go along with filing your expungement. You know, for people that are maybe making minimum wage or some of the lower wage earners, but, you know, that's very cost prohibitive for them to get it. Another thing that we found was really keeping people from getting expungement was the knowledge about the process. They didn't understand whether they qualified for one, whether they didn't qualify for one, because our process is kind of, it's complicated to understand. And so they just weren't trying. And this process, they don't have to start, they don't have to go to the court and ask them to start the process of whether or not they qualify. It's automatically done through a computer system. Their name is put on a list where they are then vetted um, the attorney general, the courts, law enforcement, all, they vet it to check off on whether or not they qualify, and then it goes to the court and it gets expunged. And they also avoid having to pay a lot of those unnecessary fees or going along with the process. 
Right. And that's exactly what we're trying to do in Texas. Last session in 2021, Representative Leach filed the clean slate bill, and it did exactly what you just described. It passed the House, so hopefully in 2023, we could move it all the way to the governor's desk. I wanted to bring up one thing, Marilyn, since you brought this up whenever you were just describing clean slate. So you describe it as expungement. I describe it as sealing or non-disclosure. So Jesse, maybe you could kind of touch on this. How do you market this across the nation with the differing ways that states describe clean slate? Absolutely. Thank you so much. So we have passed policies like this in eight different states and we're running campaigns now in like 12 more, and each state has their own very distinctive record clearance process. So kind of that catch-all term that I tend to use is record clearance, but you're right. Texas has a non-disclosure system. Delaware has a sealing system. In Connecticut, you have to go through the pardon process before you can get your record cleared. And all of these things are going to benefit people in the same way. You're removing that barrier from your criminal history to people in the public. And I know sometimes that can be a little bit scary to hear, like maybe there won't be as much public information out if we're clearing someone's record. But ultimately, it is a benefit to both public safety and the economy to have people provide people a true second chance. And part of that is removing the stigma that's associated with having a criminal conviction. You know, we talked about having this be an automated process. Marilyn, you mentioned that, and it's, it's a, the most important component of these clean slate policies, because right now only 6% of people who are actually eligible to apply for and receive record clearance do that because of money constraints or a lack of knowledge about what the process in their state is. So I think, you know, Nikki, you hit on something really important, like how should people search this if you're looking for an expungement or for sealing or for non-disclosure? And the short answer is clean slate is a solution because we're automating the process. And the other answer is, you know, there are experts in your state and advocates working on making this process easier for everyone. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to chime in a little bit there, talking about semantics just a little bit and advocating for this process within the states. You know, we talked about automated. You know, a lot of people wanted to call this an automatic expungement bill. We found out very early on that was not the best word to use for it because lawmakers would hear automatic and in their minds, they would think, okay, the person doesn't have to go through the normal checks that you do now to make sure that they qualify, they don't have any pending or new felonies. And so it made them really scared and skittish about it. So I, it had to be a lot of practice and a lot of training with our advocates to say, don't use the word automatic, use the word automated, because it's not, and I had to tell people many times, it is not an automatic expungement. We're not like saying, you know, let's just put them on a list and they're done. It's the same process. It's just done through an automated computer system. And so that made a big difference. Yeah, I've, I've dealt with that in Texas as well. I think you really have to explain like these people already qualify for this. We're just yeah. we're just removing barriers for them that yeah. the government yes. has imposed. And I think something that I kept repeating was if someone is eligible for an expungement today, they will still be eligible when this bill passes. We are not messing with that at all. Mm -hmm. so. Jesse, how do you feel like the differing ways that states kind of, have you seen this across the nation and other states where the messaging is so, so unique to each state? 
Absolutely. You guys hit the nail on the head with this idea of automation. So a great example is Louisiana. They've been working on passing some clean slate bills for a couple of years now, but they've switched to saying a government initiated process, which also makes a lot of sense since you're moving away from an individual petition based process. But rhetoric is so important, as is educating lawmakers on what these policies actually do, because sometimes when you try to bring in you know, tech gurus or software engineers, people in clerk's offices can maybe shut down a little bit or state agencies are a little afraid of what that might look like because they're so familiar with their current systems. So really sitting down with every stakeholder who's gonna be involved in explaining this is the software that's being created, this is how it works, and this is the result has been very successful in other states. That's yeah, what one thing that was helpful, a talking point that was helpful in Oklahoma, because we had a lot of that fear and the people that are currently doing it, the people that literally sit with a piece of paper and a pen and check the people that are up for expungement. And Jesse, I remember telling us that they did a, a beta test on the software and they compared that to, and if she could probably tell us a little bit more about it, and they compared that to actual humans doing it. And the software had less errors than the humans. And so that was extremely helpful to me to be able to reassure lawmakers with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. So Utah, the University of Utah worked with our Clean Slate Utah Coalition to produce that study and look at the software that was actually being implemented in the state. And you're right, it was uh, as effective or more than a human being going through it. And as more states pass, we get more and more experience building this software and implementing it. So we're learning more and more as we go down this path together. Great. Marilyn, who was your champion and why? What was driving them to be the champion of Queen Slate? Yeah, so her name is Representative Nicole Miller. She was our big champion in the House and carrying it for us. Senator Adam Pugh carried it when it got over to the Senate. But Representative Miller has really, she gets very deeply involved with issues in her legislation, which is one of the reasons why we really love using her as an author. And she had talked to constituents who were going through issues with employment and other things related to expunging their, or related to former felony convictions. And the year before, she had actually carried a bill dealing with juvenile expungement. So she really understood, you know, when you get down into the nitty gritty details of it all and it gets really complicated, you know, I don't know if we all fully understand it, but she understood the human side of it. And that was extremely important because we had all these policy people that were running around able to create one pagers and talk about, you know, the ins and out, but having that lawmaker that could stand on the floor and talk about the human side of it and how this was gonna impact was extremely valuable. And besides the, semantics of automated versus automatic, that type of pushback. Was there any other type of pushback that you had to deal with? No. Well, you know, we had to, at the same time, work on the financial aspect and funding for it after we passed the bill. And so reassuring lawmakers, this was not going to just be another unfunded mandate reassuring the agency this was going to be housed under, that we were not going to be placing all these requirements on them without any kind of support financially um, was extremely important, especially, you know, in the last couple of years with the budget and some of the uncertainties we have, you know, lawmakers really wanted to, to reassure themselves that this is going to be paid for. And in the very beginning, we had some people 
people that were kind of un, not as trusting with us and thought, okay, these groups are pushing this through, but they're going to like, you know, they thought we were going to sneak in maybe a crime here or there that we wanted to, to make expungible that's not expungible. And so I guess it's constantly reassuring them that as well. We're not trying to change who is and who is not eligible. It is all about making this process easier for the the people that have the felonies and also for the agencies that are trying to process them. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to Texas. I'm hoping that I am met with the same level as pushback and it's just semantics. And, you know, I know that the fiscal note last session for Queen Slate, there was no significant fiscal impact. So let's say a prayer that that continues in 2023. Jesse, what do you, what do you think 2023 is going to look like in Texas? What are your goals? What's your vision? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, you know, I think that the midterms really highlighted that Texas is a, is a deeply conservative state. And so we're going to have to meet people where they are when we're talking about different types of re- reforms, especially when those reforms touch criminal justice issues. Because as you both know, just a general sort of rise in crime and discussion about that rise in crime can really impede some impactful reform legislation. So being able to jump that hurdle is something I think we're going to have to specifically focus on in Texas. There are going to be a series of like three separate bills that are being introduced. You mentioned a Representative Leach's bill from last year. That one's going to be refiled. And I think that overall, we're very hopeful since it did pass the House last year that it will be able to move through the legislature just because in the interim session, there's been so much advocacy outreach through expungement clinics across the state, talking to different lawmakers, especially in the rural counties of Texas and helping them understand how this is actually really helpful to them and streamlining their courts, the benefits of what passing Clean Slate in Texas could be. So I am hesitantly optimistic and very excited to get down to Austin and sort of get, get my hands dirty. So could you explain the expungement clinics a little bit? I know that there have been a ton of organizations in the coalition working on those expungement clinics. So this is kind of an opportunity for maybe to spread the word and educate on what those clinics are. Yeah, so I will plug the website. You can go to cleanslatetexas.org and that has all the upcoming events listed, links to different fact sheets from the bills last session. There'll be new facts, fact sheets for the upcoming bills and all sorts of information on cleanslatetexas.org. But the expansion clinics are, are hosted by our partners in the Clean Slate Texas Coalition. And what that is, is where lawyers working pro bono will come to a community set up shop for a day or two and help people go through the petition-based process for non-disclosure or record clearance. So they will check eligibility, they'll check paperwork, and then ultimately they will help file whatever documents need to be to get the process moving. And this has been really critical in Texas because we are seeing a lot of people come to the expungement clinics and then not maybe be eligible or maybe have filled out their paperwork incorrectly. And so that's exactly sort of the audience that we would be helping when we pass these bills in Texas. And so you're developing a group of directly impacted advocates who can bring forward that personal narrative piece of advocacy that Marilyn highlighted so well that Representative Miller did in Oklahoma for the directly impacted folks there. But expansion clinics are also going on across the country. So if you're watching this and you're not in Texas or Oklahoma, like contact your local legal aid, search for your local Clean Slate Coalition, because there is help for you out there if you're still working through a petition-based process. That's amazing. I, I really need to go to one of the clinics. 
I just want to see how it's all working. And I will say the Clean Slate Texas website has been very helpful for me. So I know it will be helpful for other people as well. I love the one pagers. And so I appreciate y'all working so hard on that. Okay, well, is there anything else before we head on out? I mean, this has been a great conversation. Well, I mean, I, I might add that I am looking forward to Oklahoma getting the system fully implemented. I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to start seeing some of the results from it, being able to share some of those results with the lawmakers to show them that, you know, they trusted us and they provided the funding for it. And, you know, some of them voted yes when they were really kind of hesitant about it. And, and I'm just really excited to see that and see how it, it starts affecting people. Great. Yeah, Jesse, what about you? Yeah, I'll just, I'll give a, like a quick national perspective. So I mentioned earlier, eight different states have passed a version of Clean Slate. We have two of those states entering their effective implementation periods in 2023. So both Connecticut and Michigan are going to flip that switch and have charges cleared from records, which is super exciting. And then also I'd highlight just, you know, in on a high note, the success that we've seen so far. So the first Clean Slate bill passed in 2018 in Pennsylvania. Since then, 2.3 million people have had at least one conviction or non-conviction cleared. 7.3 million people have had a conviction cleared. And 2 million people have received full record clearance since we started this movement. So it is really making a big difference in the lives of people everywhere. That's incredible. Yeah. And I know Texas has long been a leader on criminal justice reform. So we got to we got to catch up to Oklahoma on this one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to working with Jesse and all the other wonderful, wonderful Clean Slate Coalition members this upcoming session. For more information about what's happening in your state, you can visit cleanslateinitiative.org. And to find out more about conservative and data-driven criminal justice reform, you can go to rightoncrime.com.